Welcome to Adventures in Business. This is a show where we have thought-provoking conversations with founders, CEOs, and business leaders of various industries to learn about their stumps, falls, trials, tribulations, and successes on how they manage the current business environment. Join our hosts, Mandy Graziano and Amani Roberts, as we chat with our next guest. Welcome in. We're here. It's the last day of July. Mandy, how are we doing today? Welcome. <laughs> I We are awesome. I'm back from Ohio. I'm back from my whirlwind family summer tour, and uh, we're here. I've got a little summer cold, but other than that, everything's awesome. What about you, Amani? How was your weekend? What happened? Weekend was good. Pretty chill. Low-key weekend. Didn't do anything too crazy. Um, read a couple while well, reading a book and then just getting caught up from when I was out. What was maybe the highlight of your trip to visit your family? Ah, oh, that's a good question. My cup is so full. I mean, <laughs> I got to see, you know, I think I, I shared this with you, but I hadn't shared this with other people. My father had been hospitalized the weekend of 4th of July weekend and being so far away from family, it's just really hard to know what has happened. And he's been home since and he's okay, but it was just awesome to sit on the couch with him, like next to him, like they have the, my mom and dad have the dueling, um, uh, the dueling recliners. <laughs> so we're sitting mm -hmm. next to him watching, um, watching the Cleveland guardians play baseball and just really get like his color is back. He seems like he's, he's a little achy, uh, but it's just really good living day to day with them. Just really seeing how they're doing and what's happening. And then just seeing family. I saw all my siblings, my family had a surprise birthday party for me that I didn't, my oh, birthday nice. not until like two weeks from now. So it was a hundred percent a surprise. Okay. And um, yeah, so it was really, it's just really solid family time. Yeah. All right. I love what it. about I you? What, what's been, what was your highlight of your weekend? Look, just resting and sleeping and that's all because I was gone for so long. So, so tired. Yeah. So, but it's good though. It's good. So I'm getting ready for the semester um because we're about three weeks out and that was it now um hold on for a minute i'm gonna we we, we want to introduce our guest uh today but i figured instead of me you know going through she's got numerous achievements she's an amazing young lady um i just want to show the acceptance speech from when she got her first emmy first emmy and it's so cool and then we'll bring her on stage and we'll talk to her um, because I've had a chance to interview once before. I'm so excited to get more time with her today. So what we'll do is we're going to put Gabby's, um, her Emmy speech on, and then Gabby, you won't be able to see it, but we'll tell you, you remember it. So let's watch that one, and then we'll get to having her come on stage. Awesome. Can't wait. And the Emmy goes to... Super Latina with Gabby Natal. Super Latina. that are holding today a daytime Emmy are the same hands that were holding a bucket of paint and a brush 10 years ago to paint our first TV set of Super Latina. My partner in business and life, Andy Suarez, we created Super Latina from a carpet warehouse in Odessa, Texas, just because we wanted to produce television that inspired us. So this award goes to the dreamers, to the rebels, to the ones that wake up every day and do not, def do not allow anyone to define their capabilities. You're never too old, you're never too fat, too ugly, too gay, or too undocumented to make your dream come true. Thank you so much, gracias a todos. Okay, so now we want to bring to our stage Gabby Natale. Welcome to Adventures in Business. Give you a round of applause. Hello. Hello, 
Armani. Hello, Mandy. I'm so happy to be here today with you and to get to start the week together. And, you know, I heard about your weekend. So let me tell you about mine. Yes. <laughs> tell us. Tell us everything. <laughs> so Armani said, like, I just left. And, you know, okay. So for me, it was like a different uh, type of weekend because uh, I got to be my husband's caregiver. Uh, he got uh, minor surgery for apnea. Mm. And mm. so, uh, so now it looks like the snoring is gone and the <gasps> breathing is much better, you know, and it's one of those things that sometimes if you don't pay attention over time, it can affect your health and the one from your significant other, especially if it's low. <laughs> it can <laughs> affect your life as a significant yes. other. Now, Gabby, I've got to ask you, did he have the sleep apnea machine prior to the surgery, that the elephant, the, the tube? They, they gave it to him, but uh -huh. because her no, his nose was so clogged, um, he couldn't use it. And that was like oh. the signal that he needed uh, to go into a procedure. And it was so easy. Uh, so now we're starting... We've been together this year marks our 20th anniversary, but we're now starting a new chapter. The, <laughs> <laughs> the non-snoring chapter. <laughs> the easy rest chapter. That's yeah. amazing. That's a great story. <laughs> I hope he recovers well, well. Yes, yes. So that's great. We heard about your weekend. We got to shout out Dean is in the chat here. Laurie Buchholz. Hope I said that right. Cherry G is with us. So welcome, everyone. There's so many ways we can take this conversation, but one of... If you didn't know, I had a chance to interview Gabby about a month and a half ago in Cancun for MPIWEC. And I just love how you talked about the impact of Wayne Dyer's book, The Erroneous Zones on You. So can you share that story about how you got the book and what kind of impact it had on you? Because that really touched me when we talked before. Yes, because uh, that's I think that was the moment when I started paying attention to personal growth, uh, content, books, stories. And I remember I was around 16 years old and unlike my mother and my mother's side of the family have always been like into that type of books and louis hey you can heal your life that type of thing and uh and i had like a bad breakup you know when you're a teenager and somehow that book was in our bookcase and i said like what is your erroneous songs and what does it mean like it was a title that was kind of cryptic. I didn't know what it meant. But in a, in a nutshell, it's a book that allows you to A, identify your emotions. So am I feeling anxious? Am I feeling scared? Am I living uh, with a lot of regrets? You know, am I living in the past? Am I too, you know, putting too much uh, attention into the future? So first identifying your emotions and then starting to give you the first tools to manage your emotions. So for a teenager who's going through all the hormones and all the emotions mm -hmm. at the same time and the first heartbreak, it was it was a wonderful tool to have at my disposal uh, to think like, okay, so maybe I'm feeling sad today. This is the emotion that I have, or maybe I'm disappointed, but that doesn't mean that tomorrow, is cannot, that tomorrow cannot be a better day and that the fact that your past is not going to determine your future, you know, that you can always every day wake up and, and make decisions that somehow are going to help you, you know, uh, build uh, the, the, the life or the uh, situations that you envision. Uh, and so that's the story. I love it. I love it. So Manny and I will go back and forth with questions. Manny, what's maybe the first question on your list? Well, I want to stay in the way back machine here for a second. <laughs> and and you you tell a really compelling story. And I and I think, so correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's one of the milestones of you capitalizing on opportunities and just really having that vision of being like, huh, this is an opportunity. I'm gonna be resilient through this opportunity and make something of it. So can you tell the story about how you were volunteering for a conference and a man from DC has a business and wants to involve you in his business. Can you just share that? Because I think there's so many nuggets in there that if we just pay attention to those types of things, and we all miss that. We all miss that. So can you share that story with us? Absolutely. And I want to yeah. tie it. 
I, when I finish it, to something that I read today that is called The Lazy Girl Job. Mm. Uh, which is something that is happening in the workplace and it's a TikTok trend. But let's go first to the story. So the story, <laughs> let's go back. It's the year 2001. I'm in Argentina. And let me give you some context. The year 2001 in Argentina was a period of a lot of uh, economic and social um, problems. So we had uh, five presidents in 10 days. Uh, unemployment was over 20%. Inflation was to the roof. And I was this recent graduate. I had a master's degree in journalism. I was ready to take over the world. But the world had a very different plan for me. Mm -hmm. And I spent almost two years unemployed. Uh, and, uh, and what happens is that for people who are maybe looking at us and, and this interview and watching this interview and they are looking for their next opportunity, they may recognize this. Um, sometimes when you don't get the call back and a lot of time has passed, you mistakenly assume that the lack of interest from those companies, the lack of interest from those employers is a reflection of your worth as a professional mm. yeah. or even as a human being, as a person. So if they're not calling, it means that I have nothing of worth to offer to the world. And I made that mistake of associating those these two things erroneously. And, uh, and so I was at home and I was feeling uh, really low and depressed and the phone rings, rings and it's my friend Maria. And my friend got a real job and she was working for a company. It was a company that it was putting together an international <laughs> conference, mark, political marketing conference. And she told me, Gabby, I need you. And I assumed in just a split second in my mind that she needed a reporter or she needed, she needed a journalist, something that I was trained for. And she said, no, Gabby, I'm calling you for a different reason. I'm calling you because I need a helper. I need somebody who's going to wave at people when they arrive, somebody who's going to hand out flyers during the day, move chairs. And the reason I'm calling you and not anyone else for this job is because we don't have a budget. I need a friend to do a favor for me uh, and to come and work for free. And she said, would you please do me the favor of coming and work for free as a helper? And because she was and she still is a very mm -hmm. good friend of mine, I said yes. But the moment I hung up, I realized that everyone who graduated with Maria and me and had real jobs were going to attend the conference. And I will be there being the one who's moving their chairs, being the one who's handing out flyers, being the one who's greeting them at the door, having a master's degree. And I felt that was the confirmation right then and there that I was a total failure. And while all of that was going through in my mind, my mother called. And my mother is a no nonsense type of woman. I call her the Erin Brockovich of Argentina. Yeah. <laughs> she doesn't take help from anyone. And she has this quality that moms have, like you say hello, and they already know what's happening. So she said, what's wrong, Gabby? And I told her how I was feeling like a total failure. And she stopped me right there. And she said, do you have anything better to do with your time, Gabby? Mm. No, I'm unemployed. So listen really carefully. This is what you're going to do tomorrow. Tomorrow, you're going to wake up with your best attitude, put on your best clothes, your red lipstick, like the beautiful lipstick you're wearing now, Mandy, because... <laughs> it's right here. <laughs> uh -huh. And you know why? Because you never know when opportunity will knock at your door. And I think my mother is some kind of you know, sidekick or something like that, because the following day, I did that. And by noon, I see my friend Maria who's coming and she's desperate. And I, I'm asking her, like, what's going on? And she says, you're not going to believe what happened. The translator just canceled. And I have a whole delegation of professors from George Washington University here. And there's nobody to translate for them. I know you're bilingual. Would you please do me the favor of translating for them? 
And I said, sure. I dropped the chairs. I dropped the flyers. <laughs> and to make a long story short, Amani and Mandy, that was the beginning of what we now call telework. There was not even a word for that at the time. And one year later, when they had uh, a job opportunity and they needed somebody bilingual to join their company, a, a PR consulting firm in Washington, D.C., guess who was first top of mind to get offered the job? The job? Yours truly. Yes. Changed my life. The day I almost did not show up, that was the day that changed the trajectory of my life. So that's a story. I love that. I love that for so many reasons. I love that you were insightful enough at that time to realize what an opportunity it is. And I was not. My mom was. Yeah, yeah. But you listened. You listened, right? You could have just said, whatever, mom. I'm, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not going in. But you listened or you caused, there was a cause for pause for you to actually take action. I just, I love that. And I know Amani and I are both professors at colleges in San Diego and LA. And we constantly have students that ask how they can get involved. And we always say volunteer. And I just think that is a great example of like, volunteer, show up, do a great job. You never know who's looking. And look, that that changed your whole life. I mean, mm -hmm. Emmys, multiple Emmys and owning your own rights to your television program and your media and you're a media mogul. I mean, none of that happens without that one moment where you step out of the house. I just, I love that. I'm so impressed by you. Mm, yes. Thank you. So yeah. how, how are you going to tie it back to the TikTok trend? Oh, there you go. Yeah, <laughs> I'm so good. Well, I was seeing the past days a trend that is called the, the lazy girl job. And uh, in TikTok, what they are discussing is apparently um, our young recent graduates telling each other uh, how to get a job where they do the least they can. It's some kind of version of quiet quitting, you know. Um, and And that got me thinking about like, the Gavi that was in her early 20s and I was here and and really had a vision for myself. And it was not easy. I'm not speaking from a place of privilege. I had to fight even for my uh, legal status, for my right to be able to stay and to work in this country. But I think that the... Um, the vision that you have for yourself is so important, even at a young age, because excellence is not between you and your employers. And I'm not saying that you don't get a better job or you don't change to a different position if you feel your company or your bosses are being unfair, because we've all had those bosses that it doesn't matter how hard we try and how hard we work they are still not going to see us or they are still not going to recognize us. I'm not saying stay in a place where you're not valued. But what I am saying is that excellence is not between you and your employer. Excellence is between you and yourself. Oh, it is amen. something that you want for yourself. And that's why I think that if you're seeing this, and you are a girl or a boy, because laziness doesn't have a gender, a girl or a boy who knows deep inside that you have greatness in you, don't do the bare minimum. It doesn't matter if your boss is watching, if your company is a good or bad. You're only going to figure out what you're capable of if you go through those patches where you feel sometimes you're pressured or when you have to put your skill at a different level. And if you're avoiding that all the time, you're never going to find out how far you can go. And if you have those skills, how much they can grow. Ah, so okay. Good. Yes. Preach it to the choir here on a yes. Monday afternoon. I love it. I love it. <laughs> I, um, first of all, if you haven't picked up Gabby's book, this is what it looks like right here. It, get it? It's called The Virtu Virtuous Circle. Um, read the whole book. I have many favorite stories. My favorite story <laughs> was the one you talked about, Perla C. Can you share about Perla C and how that benefited you as a professional? Yes. And her, I can say her full name, Perla Carrillo, because uh, 
you know, she, she's somebody who taught me a, a nice lesson. Um, so I was working as a reporter. It was one of those first years here in the United States, and I was still had a temporary, a temporary job permit. And uh, my husband had recently moved, but he was what we now call dependent. So his visa depending on, depended on mine. And he didn't have a work authorization. So I was the breadwinner by law, you know, and in your first jobs as a reporter, especially in a small market, like you don't make a lot of money. I was making $27,000. So and I was the sole breadwinner and I could not take any side hassles because my visa wouldn't approve it. And I had one of those bosses, uh, the news directors, many times love to say that they have a thousand people who would kill for your job. You know, a thousand women would love your job or a thousand graduates would love your job. Um, so they brought somebody uh, and they were promising that in addition to my everyday work, I was going to have the weekend show, a community show uh, that I had ambitioned. And then all of a sudden they brought somebody called Perla. And so, <laughs> and so Perla, you know how those bosses, sometimes they play mind games. So she's the favorite or you are the favorite or you have to compete for my attention, you know, to know who is the favorite. So as soon as Perla arrived, he made it very clear that Perla was the favorite and mm. that uh, in spite of everything he promised in the past, Perla, Perlita was going to get the weekend uh, show that I was envisioning without any explanation. So when Perla arrived, you can imagine I was not a fan of Perla. <laughs> <laughs> we don't like Perla in this story. <laughs> I will eventually. You will eventually. Yeah, I, I get that. I get that. Yes. So, so Perla arrives. She didn't do anything wrong. And she didn't know everything. All of this was happening behind the scenes. So I was super, I was not mean, but I was super cold. You know, usually you have somebody new in in the station in your or, or in your in your TV channel and you're welcoming and let me tour you and this is your office and this is the studio and this is this and this is that and I was none of that I was not mean I didn't do anything against her but I was icy cold because in my mind what I knew is if Perla gets my job and I lose it I not only lose a job I lose my income for my family and I lose the legal status for myself and for my husband. Mm -hmm. So that means that I have to go back to Argentina to start again. So it was, I was under a lot of pressure uh, and also I was very insecure. It was in the beginning of my career. And one day I go uh, to the edit uh, space, you know, and she asked me a couple of questions about how to edit. And just to make small conversations, small talk, she says like, oh, your nails on camera look really nice because you have French, French nail style, you know. Mm -hmm. And that was like a little chit chat. And I could not wait to, you know, leave the place because I didn't <laughs> want to see that woman who came for my job. Um, the following day, I arrive in my office. And what do I see on top of my desk? A little package as a gift. And it was a French nail kit that Aww. she gave me. So all my, you know, coldness, all my unwillingness to be welcoming was met by this teeny package that made me feel like such a fool, like such an insecure person. Like she was the bigger, pers the bigger person in the room. She met, you know, my child childliness with kindness and and so you know that was a grand gesture that she had and then fast forward to you know another day in the office years later uh, I get an email from somebody that I know uh, that is sending an email to her mother who was her manager and by mistake she sent the email to me and the email was all about what an 
Oh, what an awful person I was. Oh, no. How bad I, bad taste for, um, you know, how, for dressing and like how much of a be more beautiful woman she mm -hmm. was, etc. And I got the message instead of, you know, when you want to hit forward and you hit reply. Okay. Mm. That's what happened to her. <laughs> and thing, in that moment, I went back to Perla. And I went mm. back to how I treated that woman. And I didn't take this new woman's email personal because I have been her at some point in my life. But the only difference was that mine was not public. I didn't have the bad luck of pressing the wrong button. And so I talked to her and I said, like, it's okay. You're going through maybe a difficult time. I've done this with somebody else back in the day and just she didn't find it out, figure out. And then I went and asked for forgiveness to Perla like, like 15 years later saying like, you know what? I could have been a better person for you and, hmm. I, wasn't, and I think it's never too late. So forgive me and she forgave me. So she was always the biggest one in the room. Ah, uh, I love that story. story. So thank you for sharing. Um, over to you, man. I love that story. So thank you. <laughs> I love that, and I think we've all been that. We've all been on either side of that. That's so relatable, right? Mm -hmm. I just, I love that too. Um, I, I kind of in the same vein. I want to talk about your TEDx talk, which was spectacular. And if if you haven't, um, if uh, um, audience listening or watching, if you haven't seen it, just look up um her TEDx talk. It's amazing. But, you know, it's all about being what you can't see. Mm -hmm. And I love your reference to Arnold Schwarzenegger. That was so funny. It was so engaging. <laughs> but I think being what you can't see is a really important topic right now. And I just, I wanted you to expand on that. Just share a little bit about what you mean by being what you can't see and how that really fits into where we are at right now in this world we're in. So what I talk about in the in the TED talk, it's called Pioneer How to Be What You Can't See. And what I talk about is to embrace something that I call the pioneer spirit. And I compare two concepts. One is the pioneer spirit. The other one is what I call the emulator mindset. The emulator mindset is looking around, seeing what someone else is doing and trying to emulate, trying to copy it. And I say, we're not judging anyone you can be perfectly happy doing that all your life if that's what you want to do. But as a community, if we all just emulate, our best case scenario is the status quo. So if you're in a company uh, or in a country, let's say there's never been a female president in the United States. So if all we as women do is emulate, our best case scenario is going to be what we have so far. To break those barriers, we need to embrace what I call the pioneer spirit. And it starts in the same way. You look around, you see what everyone else is doing, but only this time, Mandy, you open yourself up to the possibility of doing something no one like you has done before. Yes. And, for, and to do that, here's the trick. You have to believe in your vision even before you have the results to validate it. Because if you're going to wait for somebody else to do it, to have the results to validate it, you're not going to break those barriers. So you have to open yourself up to this possibility, the possibility of becoming a pioneer. Ah, oh, I love it. And I love the word pioneer. It's, mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's spectacular. Yeah. Um... So many other questions. Like, I'm curious for you right now, where you are in your career and your life, what is something that scares you? What scares you? Something that is, um, scares me is that it's scary, but at the same time, it's, it's something that I have to develop with myself. I have to be better at creating teams and systems because mm. I am scared to delegate. Mm. I am the one that is always micromanaging everything. And there's so far you can go with the micromanagement. I don't know, maybe as a writer, it's something that you can do and you can still scale a lot. 
But in this field, you know, there is some point where you have to start uh, delegating more. And that is something that for me has been and still is pretty scary. Mm. Okay. And yeah, then, and we yeah, we talked about your what you're scared of, but I want to hear what your what you think your superpower is. We could all probably list off your superpowers, but like what is something that you consider your superpower today that maybe wasn't a superpower, maybe something that you were not as great at or something you were fearful of 5 10 years ago? I think something that I rem I had to recognize that it's a superpower because it happened to me so many times if is that there is something in me and now in hindsight i'm seeing it so many times that makes people feel safe i am the one that people comes with their secrets their revelations the you know the the things that i'm not sure i should do this or that so they come to me so i think something that has been and is a superpower is like when they are with me they realize that it's a safe space there's something about me that gives them the reassurance that even if they are going to share something that could be embarrassing or could be uncomfortable or maybe it's a creative endeavor sometimes i have people who i don't have you know much of a close relationship but they come to me and they say I have this idea or I have done this, I have done that. And I think when somebody shares with you, somebody, especially somebody that is not a friend or somebody in your closest circle, when somebody comes and shares with you something that is so intimate as a creative endeavor, uh, it's sharing a sacred part of yourself mm. because we, we have that part of ourselves as something that is our higher self. You know, it is something that we cherish. You don't, if you're starting to write your first stories as a writer, you don't show it to everyone. You cherish, you know, if you- <laughs> yeah, uh -huh, That's true, if, that's true. Mm -hmm, <laughs> if you wanna do radio and you're starting doing your first things, you don't show it to everyone. Uh, so that's something that I have come to realize. Like it is kind of a superpower because it happened to me many times. Ooh, I like that. I think my yeah. takeaway on that is like your superpower is sacred. Like let it come <laughs> out, cultivate it. That's that's yeah. really powerful. Speaking of like superpowers and things sacred, I noticed that in your book, you have a lot of like Japanese references. Mm. Where does where does that come from? It started to happen in a random way. You know, I started to, you know, come across these concepts, these Japanese concepts concepts and they they started to make sense so kaizen which is like um to 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 constant improvement you know there's another one which is the ikigai which is like pretty you know talked about now i, I wrote the book in the year 2016 so it was not as common at the time that is your reason to wake up but here's the thing uh just at the end of last year i had a very you know 20 years in the in the in the in the making honeymoon with my husband and we finally got to got to go to japan so it came full circle <laughs> yes yeah i love that that's that's interesting and then i want to and then i'll go back to many but i want to like a quote well really there's another story i'm gonna wait for that story to later but there was a quote, and you talk about how I have so many. You see, I, have so I many. love it. Amani, you're glowing. You're beaming. Yeah, right now. There's so much to ask. I feel you know? the vibration. It's awesome. Yes, yes. You talk about how sometimes people say you can't have everything. Like, you know, if you're lucky in love, you won't be lucky in work, in health, or in some area of your life. But you believe that's a self limiting thought. Why yes. do you feel that way? Why do you feel that way? You know what? I grew up with all of that. Like, um, like, uh, it, you know, you're lucky when you gamble, then you cannot be lucky in love. And like, um, there's a saying in in Spanish that is called la suerte de la fea, la linda la desea, which means like uh, the good luck that the ugly have is some, something beautiful people wish for, which is like, or horrible just, you know, because they are dividing people by their <laughs> yeah, look yeah. wrong in so many ways but it's a saying, uh, and then 
And then you start questioning those things that, you know, you grew up with from money doesn't grow on trees, you know, all those things that we have internalized. And because we heard it from a very early age, we never had the tools to challenge it. And now you grow and you say like, why am I repeating these things? Do I really believe in them? And is there any proof? Like, why am I, why am I still holding on to these beliefs? And, and I think, you know, there's no reason, there's no science behind it, there's no proof behind it, so why am I going to believe in it? Hmm. Good, good, amazing. Okay, um, Mandy, what did you have next? Because I want to, well, here, there's more. So here, I'll just keep going. <laughs> go for Stop. it, Amadi, go <laughs> for it. You're on a roll. I know your father has a story and I just read the book. So there's so many questions about the book and then we'll kind of get to life advice next. But he talks about how he says dolls don't pay. Yes. What does that, what does that mean to you today? It, it is related to what you said, that, okay. um, that in order to get something in life, for some reason, you should to always give up happiness or give up something. Yes. Yes. So here's the thing. I went to a school, my, like my high school was a good high school, but it was not like Ivy League or super excellent type of high schools. But the university, the college I went to in Argentina was a really demanding one. And it was the type of uh, universities where kids who went to bilingual schools and, you know, a lot of fancy things and campuses and big campuses and things like that they came from. My school was a good school, but a normal school. So it was a big deal for me when I did, I took the test to, to apply uh, for that uh, Argentina's Ivy League University because my level of English was not there. For sure, my level of math was not there. <laughs> there were so many assignments that I had to take. And then in my mind, I said, like, I have been collecting all these different dolls. And it was like, they were bears, not so many dolls, but just a mix, you know, of those things that you collect when you're a teenager. And when I got the news uh, that, that I entered and that I passed the exam, like, it was such a big news for me that I said, I am going to grab all these toys and all these things, and I'm going to go to a place where it's needed, and I'm going to give them away. Mm. And it's a really nice gesture, you know? It's something that, I mean, it's commendable, but the thinking behind it mm. is toxic. Because yes. what my father wrote to me and what my father said when he wrote that letter to me that says dolls don't pay and it's a tongue-in-cheek because there were dolls and he's calling me also a doll you know <laughs> uh, is that you don't need to give up things that you love or that you enjoy for something good to happen in your life mm. so so it doesn't mean like let's say you fall in love and you meet a wonderful person in your life you don't have to anticipate that something horrible is going to happen in your work <laughs> just to compensate because yeah. there was something good in this area of your life. Yes. So, so I'm not saying don't give away toys if that's what you want to do. That's great. But just think about what is the reasoning behind it. And just because something good or something wonderful, spectacular happened in one area of your life, please don't be anticipated on something bad or even horrible is going to happen at another area just to compensate because it doesn't have to work like that. Amen. Again. Yes. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that's good. That was, that was good. That was good. Over to you, Mendy. <laughs> well, I, it's funny you say that because I just got back from Ohio and I have family and friends there that are always waiting for the other shoe to drop. Mm -hmm. And it's exactly what you just said. And I, I rem when I was there, I was like, it doesn't have to drop, you know, mm -hmm. like you could just put the other shoe on. So <laughs> I, I, I really relate to that uh, more than, you know, um, I want to switch gears for a minute because I want to talk about pitching because you are in a really unique position as a head of a media company that people are pitching to you all the time, but then you are also pitching on behalf of your 
clients all the time as well. So, mm-hmm. and obviously right now it's really, really hard to get your pitch activated because there's so much information and there's just so much um, opportunity out there that people, you know, everything just falls from the wayside. So what are, if you were to give advice to founders and, and entrepreneurs that are watching or listening to this, what are three top things that you see when you see a pitch that you're like, I am taking action on this? Like, what are three unique things people can do to get their to get their pitch noticed? I think one thing is identify your own white space. And that came from, um, that is something that I realized out of so much time in the media industry where it's like common knowledge and nobody challenges the conception that we have to kill each other and fight for that job because there are so many, so few jobs on camera, you know, and so many people who want it that is like everybody understands it or believes it's second nature that we have to kill each other, backstab each other, and I'm not cutthroat. So if we're going to, if Mandy, you and I will have to go to the ring and fight with each other, I'm going to have punches all over my face. (laughs) I know, you know, that's probably not my strength, but I know that out of embracing my uniqueness, out of analyzing and seeing around, I can identify so many opportunities for myself where I don't have to punch Mandy and Maria and Jackie in the face to identify that. So the first one is instead of like trying to fight with everyone else for whatever you're doing is identify your own white space where you can thrive, where you can create something that you don't have to compete at that at that level with everyone else. Mm. Um, that is one. Then the second thing that I think it's important for people pitching or selling or presenting is that re- we have to change our relationship with rejection. Rejection is part of the process. Rejection is not some terrible thing that is happening to me because the world is against me and there's a conspiracy against my ideas. Guess what? If you're doing something that is somehow breaking barriers internally or externally, whether it is starting a new business, applying for a promotion, for a scholarship, something that is either inherently competitive or inherently complex, the, 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 the thing that you're going to have the most is rejection. So that's why I say rejection is part of the process. And the sooner we change our relationship with rejection, the sooner our life will expand. Mm. Because when we don't take it as this big drama, and, you, and that doesn't mean that you're entering the room where you're pitching, anticipating rejection or no oh oh, it's not gonna happen for me no that's not that i'm gonna go there i'm gonna go with my a game and i'm gonna put my best energy and attitude to make it happen but i don't control everything and if this doesn't happen in this meeting it's not the end of the world tomorrow there's a new day in the next hour there's a new hour and you can have another meeting with somebody else that's what i mean like yes know that rejection is going to happen to you but just don't take it as personal. It is part of the process. And then for people pitching is um, a job made with love will never go unnoticed. Going back mm. to you know the story with my mom and everything, you can really tell when somebody's pitching you. Like when I did the interview with Amani in Mexico, one of the things that I told him is, I can tell you did your homework. Mm. You know? You know how you separate yourself from the crowd by just doing that? It's ridiculous because there's a lot of people who are doing interviews out of just reading the title and the back cover of the book. Truth, yeah. Mm -hmm. And hoping they're going to have a spectacular conversation without putting in the work to prepare for it. Mm -hmm. So by doing that, people can tell you separate yourself from the crowd. Ah, awesome. So Mm -hmm. many nuggets. Thank you. I'm curious now with 
all of the accomplishments that you've had, and you've had some tremendous accomplishment, what is the one that you're the most proud of? I think something that I'm proud of, and it's in hindsight, because in the moment I didn't feel that I was so young or so vulnerable, but I think for somebody in, the, in their early 20s to come to a new country, new language, new culture, start fresh in a place where you have no friends or family mm -hmm. and believe in your vision and your potential so much that you're doing that, I, I congratulate the younger <laughs> version of myself. Yeah. But, but in that moment... I didn't feel I was, I, I felt like I know it all. I'm going to do it, you know, and I'm, you know, and, and sometimes <laughs> you need that attitude and that denial. <laughs> like it's, it was more complicated than I anticipated, but, uh, and I didn't feel like I was so young, which I absolutely was. Uh, so that's, that's a proud moment for me, you know, to, to take that step because sometimes people do that and they are older, they have more resources, and they have family members in their new destination, or they even have a job lined up, and they still cannot, you know, make that transition in a way where they can pursue their dreams. And sometimes, you know, it's, and, and it's okay if they want to go back. It's not, I'm not shaming anyone, but it's just that it does take a lot of determination to take that step and, and, persevere in that direction okay yeah Def, Def, well just definitely something to be proud of i mean mm -hmm. a, a lot of people never leave they never leave where they grew up which is yeah. also okay but it is a next mm -hmm. level piece of bravery yeah. to do what you did Tremendous. yeah now the second part of the question is what's been the best advice that you've ever received hmm um I don't know if this is a piece of advice, but it's something that my husband and I, we always comment when we are, and we tell each other, when we are going through a situation that is challenging, we tell ourselves like, if this doesn't happen, it should not be because our side was not completed, because our mm -hmm. side was not done. And I remember when we were doing our immigration journey, our green card journey, which there were a lot of setbacks and it was very expensive and it was very complicated and there was lots of bad news at some points in the in the in the uh, legal papers and everything and sometimes you know the lawyer would tell you like i mean we could do a b or c but you don't have a big chance of you know actually accomplish this and and, and i get it that they have to manage expectations so we said, okay, we're going to do it even if there's a slim chance of things happening because I don't want this not to happen just because my part of the effort or my part of the story was not done. And it applies to somebody looking for a scholarship. You can say, oh, so many people are applying for this scholarship. It is a dream scholarship or it's my dream college. And there's a lot of people who they don't do it, you know, and they, they, can, they, don't, they don't know, they could never tell. So I think like, if this is your dream and it doesn't happen, that's fine. But not because you didn't fill out the form, not because mm -hmm. you didn't put in the FAFSA information there. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's something that I don't know if it's an advice, but it's something that we live by. I love it. Okay, good, good. Very good. Now we've come to the part of the show where we kind of flip the script. So, and this will be good because you're a journalist. So we let you ask me a question and you can ask Mandy a question and then we answer it and then we continue on with the interview. So who would you like to ask a question of first and then we'll start from there. Um, I can ask them to both, same question. And I think a nice question that I like always to decide is like um, in in a, in a perfect world where, you know, whatever you planned would go as planned. What would be the plan? Yeah. <laughs> Amadi, you go first. 
<laughs> okay, I'll go first. Hold on. Uh, if, in a perfect world, plan if things, and we're talking, are we talking like business wise, like business career wise? It could be anything. Oh boy. Okay. Here. So I'll say, you know, of course, personally, you know, be married with a couple kids or whatever and have a nice family. That would be um, personally, professionally, like where you grew up at nighttime there would be like a DJ that would come on at nighttime and they would play like slow jams and you would call in and say, okay, I want to make a request to my husband and I would pick a song and play it and put your voice on. That would be my job. But during the day, I would be like a professor because I really love to teach. So by day, I'd be the professor. At nighttime, I'd be the slow jam, slow jam DJ in a perfect world. And then I would write my books uh, every you know year or so or whatever also. That's what I'm thinking. I love it. I love it. Okay. That is Maybe. great. I like you're sort of the slow jam DJ. You have your oh, Sunday yes. twitch, right? I do. You're, I do. You're yes. Halfway there. You're halfway there. there. Yeah. Yes. Now, yes. Gabby and I, we just have to find Amani a girlfriend so he can marry and have kids. Okay. <laughs> We've got to put it out in the universe, Amani. Yes. We're all, we're all yes. on the case. We're all on the case. Ready. You want to make an introduction? <laughs> yeah. You want to make an introduction? I'm here for it. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I, you know, it's funny that you say that because sometimes I'll say the plan is there is no plan because mm -hmm. we all plan so much for so many things, especially in the conference planning world, which is where, you know, I live most of the time. And, um, you know, so I think the plan is there is no plan. I think it's the perfect plan is just to get really comfortable with the ever changing world that we're in the ever changing things that happen, you know, so, you know, in a perfect day. I would wake up and I would go on an awesome bike ride and mm -hmm. I would write for hours and hours in a mountain chalet somewhere. And then my husband and I would go on an evening walk together and we'd have a delicious dinner. Like that would be a plan that I would make and I would love to have. But mm -hmm. I, I, as soon as you said the plan in my head, I was like, you know what? Instinctively, I want my plan to be getting more comfortable that the plans may not come out the way we That's, Hoped, a, that's a good but plan. To, yeah, yeah, but to accept it. A plan. <laughs> yeah, but just accept it. Accept whatever whatever comes our way. So that would okay. be my my plan for no plan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Great, uh, great questions. No one's really great questions. That one before. So yeah, I'm not surprised because you're like an award winning journalist. So I, <laughs> yes, I'm sure you could ask us even more difficult ones. Um, before we kind of ask the final questions, I do want to share another quote that I saw in the book and get your thoughts on it kind of today, where you are today. And it talks about how, quote unquote, magic cannot be bought. What does that mean? And kind of how do you look at that today, where you are today? That, that came from an advice from the programming director of uh, the TV channel uh, where Super Latina was airing when um, we got the first Emmy nomination. And, uh, and here's the thing, let me tell people some background. So the TV show that was nominated, um, it's an independently produced show uh, that was nominated competing against CNN, NBC uh -huh. <laughs> yes. Telemundo. So yes. these are huge, huge corporations um, that are even publicly traded, many of them, uh, with uh, incredible budgets. And there was me and my show nominated Uh, and I know that, and I knew that our manpower was so smaller, our budget was so smaller, everything, you know, this, this was a, this is a very artisan way of working. Uh, and, um, and I remember when I, I called the um, director of programming from the TV channel, the TV network, uh, I was kind of announcing that we were nominated while kind of apologizing that we were mm. nominated because mm. I was managing their expectations. I was telling, you know, yes, we're happy. We're nominated and we're surprised. Yes. Also, it's so difficult for us to have a shot at competing with all these giant, mm -hmm. giant uh, productions. And that's when she said, um, What, you, what you're talking about, Amani. That's when she said, magic cannot be bought. Sometimes, not always, but sometimes it's not everything about money. When you're mm -hmm. in a project and something is very intentional and something has 
some magic put into it, you know, even when you have a lot of money and there's something that is packaged and it has a different scale and it has a lot more people and it has a lot more production, sometimes you don't have that magic touch that something that is more artisan, artisan made uh, has. Okay, great, great. Now, all three of us here on the screen are speakers, professional speakers. What advice do you have for other professional speakers who could be watching that want to continue to excel in that space? The first thing is don't limit yourself, uh, you know, unless you, uh, unless you have not noticed English is not my first language. <laughs> for people tuning in, they might have not noticed. Uh, so, so I have an accent and I decided to be a professional speaker even when I didn't see anyone who sounded or almost anyone who sounded like me on those stages. Uh, so as a woman, we are underrepresented. As a Latina, even more. As an immigrant, even more. But even then, I made the decision that why not? Maybe I haven't seen it, but the fact that I haven't seen it doesn't mean that it cannot be that. Mm. Or that it, uh, so it can mean something different for each one of us, uh, that type of Thing. So for me, it was somebody with a different accent. Um, so don't limit yourself. The second one is work a lot in your craft and, um, and make sure that you're incorporating, you know, your thoughts, your experiences, you're infusing your material with your uniqueness. Because I, I cannot tell you, Amani and Mandy, how many times I go to conferences and I hear again and again and again the same regurgitated quotes mm -hmm. that now, by now, nobody knows who said it don't get bigger, get better, doesn't happen to you, it's happening for you. For all you. of it, get, all of it, yeah. Get got out and there's no I in team and all of those, we've already heard it before. Don't be lazy and don't cheat. Because if, you're, if somebody is going to pay you to give you a stage and you have a microphone and you have that responsibility and there's people who are giving you the, the non-renewable asset that they have in their own lives, which is time, be respectful of that time and put in the work instead of just copy-pasting things you found online. That, mm. that drives me crazy and that's why you can sense there's intensity in my yes. voice because uh, yeah. I feel I feel you shouldn't take shortcuts and you should respect other people's IP, intellectual property. And there's nothing wrong with using somebody else's work as long as you attribute it to them. Yeah, and I think speaking of interesting, well, and you're spot on as a conference planner, like people get on stage right away and you're like, Oh, not this again. So yes, don't be lazy. I, we don't know. We don't, the attendees don't want to see something that they've seen over and over again. You said a quote recently. Um, and I, I had to reread it three or four times. Cause I was like, Ooh, that is powerful. So I want to share it with you and ask for you, um, to expand on it a little bit. You said the flip side of visibility is responsibility it's not a choice. It's a mandate. Mm. So what do you want people to know about that? Because there's a lot. That, that's a short sentence, but there's a lot in there. Well, I think uh, I'm talking more and more about visibility because in a part of my keynote, I talk about um, the pioneer's growth trifecta. And it's a triangle. I, for some reason, I'm using a lot of different shapes in my books. There's a circle, there's a triangle. Yes. <laughs> Geometry is fun. We love shapes. Yes. Yes. So, so in this case, it's a triangle. And in each part of the triangle, there's one is excellence, the other one is consistency, the other one is visibility. And when I talk to people and I ask them, like, which one do you think is the one that is... Uh, the one you should be paying more attention to, they tell me, I think I'm putting in the work, so consistency, I'm good. Excellence, I'm, you know, I took my courses, I know my craft, so excellence is good. But then visibility is the one that I think I could be doing better at. Uh, and that may mean that I'm not putting myself out there enough to show what I have, or 
it can mean it can mean that I'm not I don't feel like being seen by decision makers. So I found it that it's true both ways. That's why I talk so much about visibility because when people feel like they don't have enough visibility, it's what I call the hidden genius dilemma. They have the consistency and they have the excellence. These are the two hardest parts in this trifecta, but they don't have the visibility. And many times now in the world where we have social media and we have so many tools, if we don't have visibility many times, not always, but many times it's on us. We're not putting ourselves out there enough so that people who may connect and resonate with what we do and who we are, find our work. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well done. Our final question for you is if you could go back to talk to 21 year old Gabby, I believe you were still in Argentina and give her advice based on what you know now, what advice would you give your younger self? I would tell her to trust more in the process because, mm. um, and it's, of course, in hindsight, it's so easy, you know, it's like, um, it's like not even fair, you know, but, <laughs> but here's the thing. When I turned 30, I was waiting for a business decision to be made. Uh, and so I had a pitch that I sent and I was waiting on the answer. And at the time I felt it was the most important answer in the world. <laughs> <laughs> and it was my weekend, my weekend, my birthday weekend. And the answer had not arrived. And I remember I turned 30 and I, I got very anxious uh, because I felt things were not happening to me as fast as I wanted to. And I was not mm. getting this answer fast enough. And I turned 30 crying in the bathtub while I was getting a shower. Oh, I feel so silly because I'm never going to turn 30 again. I'm 45 now. You only turn 30 once. So when I go back to that 30-year-old Gabby crying in the shower over a decision that has no meaning in the trajectory of my life, made no change. And they said yes, but it made no change. <laughs> <laughs> I, I want to think and convince myself that we need to get wiser as time goes by. So, like, yes, in hindsight, to me, talking to this Gavi of 21 years old and say, trust the process, be more trusting, it's so easy. But when you are 21 and you don't know even what you're capable of and what opportunities could be at your, uh, within your reach, it's hard, you know. So now whenever I get a little bit anxious with things, it's like, you're not going to go back to that one who thought the world was coming to an end turning 30 and not celebrating as much as she should, you know, uh, just because there was a pending answer that didn't arrive on time or maybe it didn't arrive in the way you wanted to. And that I think it's a, it's a good advice to give. I love it. Love it. Trust yeah. the process. Love mm -hmm. it. Process. Yes. How can we, how can people, we have your LinkedIn there. What's the best way for everyone who's watching and listening to support you? You can come to all social media at Gavi Natale on Twitter. On well, it's not Twitter; it's X now. So <laughs> X, LinkedIn. You know, I'm learning the the bird. I love the bird. <laughs> uh, uh, Facebook, uh, my website, gavinatale.com, uh, and I'm always very active in social media, so you can find me. Awesome. Well, just thank you very much for sharing your story, all the wisdom and advice. It's a pleasure to see you again. It was a pleasure to meet you at WEC. So um, can't wait to see you again soon. If you're ever in California, whether it be Los Angeles or San Diego, please let us know so we can come by and say hi. But just thank you very much and keep doing what no, you're doing. Thanks to you. And I'm going to say this one more time. I wish everyone who was doing interviews take the time to do the homework as you guys do you really are setting yourselves apart by doing the work uh that you have to do to establish this connection uh so thank you so much for doing that i know you do it 
not just for me, but also for yourselves. I'm sure you're, for your next guest, you're going to do it as well. Mm -hmm. But it just means the world when you are on the other side and you can tell that somebody is taking it seriously enough to allow the time to, to know everything they need to have a meaningful conversation. Oh, thank you. And thanks thank for you. making it so easy <laughs> and having so much content out there and to make the homework was so simple because there's just, there wasn't enough time to do all the research. It was so great. So thank you. Yeah. And that's something I wanted to say. We're talking about supporting you. Uh, go to her YouTube page, especially um, if you're a conference planner, like I am, like what, what a wealth. There's so many times when you can't, you can't find information on the speaker and there is no shortage of what type of speaker Gabby will be for your conference. It's um, it's all there. So just thank you for being so thorough in how you present yourself to, to the world. It's, it's um, the homework was a pleasure. I love doing that. Yes. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. All right. Round of applause for Gabby. We'll give you up. We'll put you back in the green room too. So thank you. Yes. Yes. Thank yes. you, Gabby. Thank you, so thank you for tuning in to adventures in business. Don't forget to rate and review our podcast on the platform that you're currently listening it on. And don't forget to share it with your friends and anybody that might be as much of the business nerds as Amani and I are. See you next time for another captivating interview.